We are, we are missing people. There's people out in the parking lot talking and hanging out. and They just, they just don't care. We need to pray for them right now. <laughs> All right, let me pray and then we'll, we'll begin. God, I, I thank you for the privilege of calling you Father. Um, as a father, I know that um, I don't measure up to what it means to be a father. And some of us have had fathers who were not there, um, either mentally or even physically, and that can shape how we view what a father is. But God, we know that you show us what it truly means to be a father, a good father who loves and cares and disciplines us for our good, our joy. We thank you for being a good father for us. We thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for your spirit who gives us faith, who gives us eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts to believe. You take these stone cold hearts, give us wills to believe, to trust and rest in you. Help us to understand what that means today in some measure. In your name, amen. Well, good morning again. We're on to question 30. And last week, our question, uh, we'll cover that in a minute, but um, I want to ask you this morning just kind of a, an interesting question. What's the scariest physical feat you've ever done? What's the scariest physical feat you've ever tried to do, had to do? Whether you wanted to or not. <laughs> Wesley? Well, one of them is I had to, well, I didn't say I had to, uh, come back to my friend's house. I was looking at the time, and it got really, really, really dark. <laughs> and my house is on the other side of the town. Neighborhood? <laughs> Look, I don't remember that. And I had a ride home. In the dark. Yeah. Okay. Matt. I was gonna say, I when I was a kid, teenager, I jumped off the covered bridge at Turkey Run. Oh. Um, you know, over the. Uh huh. That red one. That's. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But at the time, I wasn't as scared as I should have been. So I don't know if that's a good example. <laughs> well, it might have been. We'll but see. Then, Wesley made me think. Uh, I think probably the scariest thing I've done is when I got home late as a kid. And my mom, I knew, would be waiting. <laughs> <laughs> that was scary. How about you guys, Jeff, Garrett, Mark? Can you think with something scary? That's probably good. Okay, all right. <laughs> and I didn't get scared until I got all the way up there and looked down. Right? Okay, I love that because uh, did you end up doing it? Yeah. So, oh my goodness! Well, then you had to, yeah. Right? She up, she up the ante. Yeah. Well, Dwayne, when you did that, what did you have in your mind? What did you put in your mind in order to actually then step off and do it? Why did you know that you could do that? 
besides your will, like, I'm going to do it, because she said that, how did you know you could do that? Well, they had this big balloon right under the... Okay. And uh, I knew if the cord broke or if I didn't stop in time, hopefully that balloon would save me. Exactly. Exactly. So your hope, your trust was in something you could see that you knew that... Oh, oh good. All right. <laughs> somebody, somebody crashed. <laughs> was in... You knew that it was... Even if it didn't hold you the cord, you'd hit the balloon. You had something you could put your hope in, right? You could anchor in that. I had, in basic training, near the end... They had us, they took us to this gulch, gulch, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? It starts like G-U, gulch, is that a word? It's like a giant canyon. Mm-hmm. It was like 70 feet, 80 oh. feet deep. And it was, it's probably as long as our building from here to the end of the building. And they had a cable that went across it, probably about that thick, you know, maybe three inches in diameter. And we, it wasn't, you know, like a zip line, you get in and you just kind of hold on and go across. This wasn't like that. You had to put your legs around it and go all the way across. And, but, because they know there's a bunch of morons, this was infantry after all, um, they still fastened a harness to you so that if you, if your muscles gave out, it, you would just slam to the side of the cave. The, the wall, you wouldn't necessarily die, but you would at least, that was probably the scariest thing I've done, is going across that, and your muscles do get weak. It, it's a lot harder than it looks, but I knew that that cable would hold me, because I could see how it was mounted, and I saw multiple people go across. I saw that they had done it, right? So, we, when we that's, that's an example of, of trusting in something, right? You put, I put all my confidence in that. I had to do it. I didn't have any, ch- well, I did have a choice. <laughs> you always have a choice. But I, I put my confidence in something I could see. Dwayne put his confidence knowing that even if this bungee cord broke, he'd land on that balloon. Um, our catechism question three weeks ago was asking that question, do all people go to heaven? And the answer was clearly No. But that question led to the next question of, well, what happens to those who don't go to heaven? And the answer to that was that they face judgment from God, eternal conscious punishment in hell, separated from him, right? And that led us to the next logical question that we covered last week. If that's the case, if we don't automatically go to heaven, then how can we be saved, rescued from that judgment that we deserve. And so our answer was, do I have it on? I don't have it on here, I don't think. I had the answer, and it's on your handout. Only by faith in Jesus Christ and in his substitutionary atoning death on the cross. So even though we're guilty of having disobeyed God and are still inclined to all evil, nevertheless, God without any merit of our own, but only by pure grace, imputes to us the perfect righteousness of Christ when we repent and believe in him. So, we receive a rescue. 
right? That's how we can be saved. That's what it means to be saved is to be rescued, right? It says in that answer, we receive a rescue when we repent and believe. We talked about what does repentance mean. So let me ask you again, what does repentance mean? How would you put in your own words based on what we, we talked about last week, if you were here? What is repentance? Yes, to be sorry from your sin, for your sin and turn towards God. And that's what Spurgeon's Catechism for Children says. What is it to repent? To be sorry for sin. To hate and forsake it because it's displeasing to God. Now, Mark, you said to turn from it, and I think you said to turn to God, right? We're going to get to that because what you talked about, the turning to God part is, is faith. But repentance is turning from. You see, you're going to see that this is, you can't have one without the other. They go together. So, <clears throat> How, in fact, that's how we illustrate repentance is often with our body. I'm going this way. I'm going this way. I turn, right? And I go another way. And the, the illustration is good. It's helpful. But you've got to know that it's not really, ultimately, it's not a physical thing. Although physical things flow from it, it's a change of your mind. The Greek word usually used for repentance is metanoia, which means a change of mind. You change how you think about your sin and about yourself and about God to thinking about him and hating your sin. That's that's really what repentance is. But the other part of that answer from last week is to repent and believe. It has in the beginning is to have faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what we didn't explore because I said this week we're going to talk about, well, what does it mean to believe? What is faith? Right. What is faith? So this week's question, question 30, it's a long one. <laughs> Wait, oh, I did the copy and pasting wrong again. It's on your handout, I hope. Oh, no. Oh, no, no. I didn't even write it correctly on the, in my notes. This is bad. <laughs> uh, I have it. If you don't have the handout, uh, or on the handout, if you don't have the little book, here's what it is. So listen, now you really got to listen. Because it's not even in print. I can't show you. We're going old school here. you got to listen to my words. <laughs> so here's question 30. What is faith in Jesus Christ? The answer is faith in Jesus Christ is acknowledging the truth of everything God has revealed in his word. So acknowledging the truth of everything God says in the Bible and also trusting in him and also receiving and resting in him alone for salvation as he has offered to us in the gospel. So I want to break that down a little bit differently today. We're going to still ask, what does this mean? Where is that in scripture? But I want to illustrate a little bit more about faith to help us understand. So the, the illustration of Dwayne jumping, bungee jumping, or me going across that cable was good in that it, I'm putting my hope in something I can see, an object. But I want to, there's a different kind of belief that people think about when we say I have faith. That 
I want to give you an illustration of when I was in uh, Minnesota, we lived up there every summer. We take the teens on a camping trip up north, way up north. I mean, you're like, Minnesota's already north, but this is like way up north, almost by Canada. (laughs) And they have this, there's this, this stream, starts out as a stream and then gets into kind of a, almost a, it was rapids, a hike that we go up the stream. You're literally hiking through the stream all the way to this point where you get to a waterfall. And the thing is, you have to actually cross the waterfall. So you you climb up the side of the waterfall. You can imagine it's actually about as wide as this stage here. And the water is coming across incredibly fast, just gushing across. And you're coming up this side. You've climbed up wet rock, and you have to cross across that. And... Um, the first time I did this, I was, I was terrified. We had guides with us that had gone before, and they stood on this side. They had two guys. They had one guy standing here, and he would stretch his hand out, and he had another guy behind him that would hold him, because it's that, I mean, it's pretty insane water. And here's the thing, though. He says to you, you need to put your foot exactly in the middle of this. Trust me, there is a footing right there when you step. He says, if you step right next to you, you're going to fall. If you step a little too far, you're going to fall. He says, it's right in the middle. I know you can't see it, but what you're going to do is put one foot in there, grab my hand, and I'll pull you across. And I had to do that. I <laughs> was like, are you kidding? Yeah. yeah, and that's exactly what was in my mind. And my friends, who are much more athletic than me, who were on that side later confessed to me we weren't so sure about you buddy (laughs) because of my lack of athleticism but i did it i put my my foot right there reached across and and that went great um and that i've talked about that before in other sermons and things that i've preached or lessons and it's usually a great illustration for community right and going through faith life together but think about the part about not being able to see what i'm putting my foot on that's what we would call blind faith. I cannot see that, 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 um, that footing there. And I just have to trust whatever they say. I think when people think about Christianity and faith, they call it a leap in the dark. That, my friends, is not what Christianity is. <laughs> right? And that's what, why, why, what I want you to see. is When we talk about faith, we're not talking about a blind leap that I have to just... Pastor Matt gets up and tells you this, and you just have to believe it, even if you can't see it. Now, yes, we cannot see God with our eyes, but we have an anchor. We have a foundation to look to, that I can look to and see that, um, that big balloon underneath me that when I fall. Or I can see those bolts holding that anchor into, or that cable into the cliff. We have something to anchor ourselves to. And... Um, when, we, when we think about these kinds of things, people talk about hope, right? And, and in this world, we have two ways of using the word hope. One way is about a future outcome that I don't know if it'll happen, right? Like, for instance, I hope my team wins. I'm, I'm hoping for a future thing to happen or something to not happen. I hope I don't get sick this week. That's one way we use the word hope. It's about a a future outcome, I hope this happens. 
The other way we use hope is in a situation where we have an absolute sure outcome. That's the kind of hope that only works if you know there's something reliable in the end that you know for sure will happen. So you can say, my hope is in this. That's a different thing than saying, I hope this will happen. You're saying, my hope, everything I'm resting on is on something. That's the difference between faith of the Bible and faith of what the world in general talks about. Faith in the Bible rests on something. It has an object that you put towards your hope. Your, your, your trust goes on to something. Whereas faith in the weird sense of the world talks about it. And you hear songs like, if you just have enough faith. That's not anchored in something. That's, that's just belief in belief itself. And a guy named R.C. Sproul, hopefully I got this one. Oh my goodness. Did I put the quote by R.C. Sproul in your handouts? Yeah. <laughs> He's right. Jeff's like, you needed to quit doing slides at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning. <laughs> All right, so you've got it on the handout. Listen what, um, well, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, right? That's the, where we're going. And then the rest of the verse says, the conviction of things not seen. And what Sproul says in his little book, which is very helpful, what is faith? He says, when the Bible speaks of hope, it is not referring to a desire for a future outcome that is uncertain, but rather a desire for a future outcome that is absolutely sure. Based on our trust, In the promises of God, we can be fully confident about the outcome. When God gives his people a promise for the future and the church grasps it, this hope is said to be the anchor of the soul. That's from Hebrews 6.19. An anchor is that which gives a ship protection against aimless drifting in the sea. And the promises of God for tomorrow are the anchor for believers today. In a real sense, hope is faith looking forward. Hope is faith looking forward. The word faith carries a strong element of trust. If my hope is based on something God has said will happen in the future... The hope I have for that future promise finds its substance from my trust and confidence in the one making the promise. You get that? My hope, my faith is based on the one making the promise, not in my ability to believe it. That's super important because sometimes I feel like that guy who came to Jesus and says, I believe, help my unbelief. My faith doesn't feel strong enough. So you cannot base your hope just on how strong your faith is. Your faith has to be put on someone else. That's the difference between Christianity and all other religions. All other religions put their hope on something they do, not on somebody else doing it for you, right? So what I think in Sproul's quote there though he says something he says that 
faith carries a strong element of trust. And that's interesting to me because he, he's saying that there's more to faith than simply trust. Like, wait a second, well, Paul, you're getting confusing here. So let me break it down because I think trust, as you'll see here, has three parts. And I get, this is, this is, this is, you'll see in a second here. So these, these next few points I'm using from Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, very helpful here. Um, and I know what he's saying is actually based on what's been clearly taught through church history. And as we're about to see is in the Bible, that's where it comes from. But true faith includes these three things. And this is on your handout. I think I got that right, I hope. On the handout. True saving faith includes knowledge, approval, and personal trust. So, so far in my lesson here today, I've been talking about that last part, personal trust. But you've got to have these other two parts. And if you don't have all three of these parts, you don't have biblical saving faith. So let me prove that to you from Scripture. So first of all, knowledge alone is not enough. But you have to have it. You have to have at least knowledge of who God is, who Christ is, and what he's done. For instance, Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? You have to be told about him or read about him in order to know who he is. Right? How are they to hear without someone preaching? So faith must require a knowledge of who God is, who Christ is. That's super important. People can know facts, though, and not be happy about it. <laughs> Romans 1.32, though they know God's righteousness decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And we know that the word belief can encompass just knowledge. In other words, we can talk about faith or belief, and it be just about knowledge of the facts. But that not be saving faith. So, for example, James 2.19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. That's talking about belief that's not saving faith. It's just a knowledge kind of faith. I have to at least know these things, right? Okay, so we have faith has to have at least knowledge. But knowledge and also approval. Knowledge and approval... But knowledge and approval are not enough. So let me just show you that you have to at least have knowledge and approve that those things you know about are true. In other words, another word you could put in for approval there is agree. You have to know that Jesus is, that he is the son of God, right? And that he came and he lived and he died on the cross for sins. You have to know that and agree that that is true. We see that in John 3, 2. When Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, he says to Jesus, not just knowledge of facts, but an agreement that they're true. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know. So it's not just simply facts, but he's agreeing that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. You see that Nicodemus at this point in his life, because later we actually see near the end of John, that Nicodemus had saving faith. 
But John 3, 2 here helps us see that Nicodemus at that point has a faith that knows facts and agrees that they're true. But he has it that's incomplete. Um, there's another person in the Bible, in the New Testament, we see that have the same kind of belief. He knows the facts of the Old Testament and agrees that they're true. So Paul is testifying to King Agrippa, Herod Agrippa, and he says to King Agrippa, he says, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. So Paul's talking, he says, I know you believe what the prophets say. In other words, I know that you know that what's said and you agree that it's true. And then notice that this shows that Agrippa did not have saving faith because he says to Paul, in a short time, you would persuade me to be a Christian. So simply knowing the facts and agreeing they're true isn't enough here for Agrippa to come to, to Jesus, right? You have to have knowledge and approval, but here is the difference with saving faith. I must decide to depend on Jesus to save me personally. This is where the trust is. So I can't, I have to know who Jesus is. I have to agree that he is the son of God. That what is told to me about him in the Bible is true. But then I have to bank on him. I have to rest on him. I have to say to you, Jesus, you have to be the one to save me. I can't do this. So I think I, oh, I still messed it up. So the catechism question, let me go back to that. That's what this catechism question is getting at. Faith in Jesus Christ is acknowledging the truth of everything that God has revealed in his word, trusting in him, and also receiving and resting on him alone for salvation as he has offered to us in the gospel. And I think when our catechism question says trusting and then it says receiving and resting, I think that's redundant. Because I think receiving and resting is trusting. I think that's trusting. So, but look at John 1.12. Surely I got that. There we go. John 1.12. It says, For all who did receive him, who believed in his name. So receiving is believing in him. He gave the right to become children of God. And then John 3.16, probably the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now think about that. It doesn't say that whoever believes him, that little word in there matters. Little words matter. <laughs> the, the Greek construction there is pistuo ace atan. It's believes literally into him. It doesn't say that whoever believes him, like believe what you say, that would be saving faith, or not saving faith, that'd be this faith that knows what he says and agrees that it's true. That would be just believes him. But to believe in him is, and even literally into him is what it says, is like putting yourself onto him, resting 
onto him. That's what it's saying there. And think about this. When you read through the New Testament, don't just look for words that say, well, I'm looking for the word faith or belief, and that'll be my evidence. That'll help. But sometimes that kind of approach loses sight. For instance, think about every time in the book of John, Jesus says to come to me. When he says to come to me, he's talking about belief that is resting in him. So, for instance, John 7, 37, Jesus says this. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. That's giving us a picture of what this saving faith is. It's someone who knows Jesus is the answer, agrees that it's true, but comes to him looking for satisfaction in life. I'm thirsty in the deepest sense that there is. And I see that if I come to him, I go to him, then I have saving faith. And then Matthew eleven twenty eight for sure. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Resting in him. And I think what we're starting to see is that saving faith well, I think we're starting to see what it is here. But here's the thing. How can we be saved? That's the question we're getting at. Last week and really even this week. is always answered with repentance and faith. So I'm talking today about what faith is. And I think I've explained that pretty well. But I need to bring it back now to the big picture of how can we be saved. The answer is must always be repentance and faith. Those have to go together. You cannot have one without the other. In fact, my friend used to say it's two sides of the same coin. And, and I think um, th- this picture I'm going to show you here that's really tiny on your handout is helpful from Wayne Grudem to help you see this. Um, well, before I say that, th- this is my, my argument, my proof for why repentance and faith have to always go together. Because it's the first words out of Jesus' mouth. In the book of Mark. Well, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. And this is the first thing he says in the book of Mark. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So this picture, I think, helps us see. And in, in, in the way Mark defined repentance actually pulls that together. He says, it's turning from my sin and to God. Can this picture work? If you only have one thing in there. Because if I turn from my sin and I turn to something other than Jesus, am I really turn is that really turning from sin? Because I think we short sell what sin is. If we think sin is simply bad things I do, which it is, <laughs> but if that's all it is, and I think that simply Stopping that, that that is repentance. What I'm doing is turning to myself as a savior to say, I can do this if I work hard enough, which would be a sin. And you really haven't turned from your sin then at that point. So repentance has to be a turning away from another. A friend of mine used to call it self-salvation projects. You have to get away from your self-salvation projects 
and see that your only hope is Jesus. Repentance means turning from the sin, realizing Jesus. It's just Jesus, right? So I, I've got a link there on the end that I, I think I'd encourage you to go to that talks deeper about how faith and repentance go together. But I've got these how, why does this matter questions that I think we should explore here for the last six, seven minutes we have here before Gene gives me the nasty eye. <laughs> so, first of all, this is the same answer as last week. This matters for us because it's our only hope. This question matters. This one last week matters for us so much because faith in Jesus Christ is our only hope, right? But let's do these two noodling questions. How do we know when our faith's in something else? There's, some of this is easy. How would you know when your faith is in something else other than Jesus? Say again? Something takes a higher priority. Yeah, which is what the text was last week in, in Luke. Something's taking a higher priority in my life. At that point, I'm not believing in resting in Jesus. I may still have knowledge about him. I may still agree that it's true, but he is now not what I'm resting in. What were you going to say, Matt? I was oh. just going to go that the far extreme of that is, is obviously other religions where I'm trusting in this, this, this. Yes. You know, I mean... I think the question is more asking the way he answered it. Well, I, I did it ambiguously because it's at least that, for sure. Other religions, you're, you're clearly not going to Jesus. But then there's a way of not going to Jesus and yet calling him your Savior. What would you say, Donna? My kids sometimes would say, uh, I'm sorry, and I would question, why are you sorry? But the Bible says godly sorrow leads to repentance. Yeah. So it, it takes a special, you can't just be sorry. Right. You know, because they haven't had a tendency to say, I'm sorry, sure. Right, sorry. right. We walk through the motions, right? <laughs> yeah. It's got to be real. It's got to be a godly sorrow. Yeah. Exactly. You're turning to God. Yeah. That's like Matt. Judas Iscariot. In the, in the King James, it actually says, Judas repented of what he had done. In newer translation, it doesn't translate it that way because it's not the same thing. Because it says he did this, but then he went out and hanged himself. Mm-hmm. And and you see that, like when you look at the the original text, it's not the same. It's not that repent that we're talking about. It's it's he felt really bad, but then he did this. It shows that wasn't a saving. It wasn't a saving repentance. Yeah. Yeah. How else do we know? What are the ways in your life, your own life, that you know that my faith is based someplace else? I, I keep I hate. This, this became an important part of my own life because I'd grown up in a Christian home, but it was when I read James 2.14 that that real conviction of sin, because James 2.14 says, um, what is a prophet, my brother, if a man says he has faith but does not have works, can that and that, that, can that faith save him? Yeah. And that was a big turning point in my life where I thought, wait a minute, there's a faith mm-hmm that does not have works, it's dead. What does that even mean? I mean, it just blew my whole yeah. theory because I'd grown up thinking simply, and I don't blame anybody that was teaching me, but I grew up thinking if I knew it was true, <clears throat> I'm good. But it was clearly through Scripture, it was more than that. Yeah. And three questions from now will address the works part of this. Mm-hmm. It's actually two questions. It'll be 
well, does works, how does works matter for my faith, my salvation? And the next one is, the answer to that would then be, well, you'll see, they logically follow from each other. Yeah, I, this may be way out there, but I could have faith that General Motors is going to send me my retirement check this month. But it's not really General Motors that supplies my finances and needs. That's right. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Well, let's, let's noodle just for a minute this next question, which is, I think, important because some of us have doubts. I shouldn't say some. We all have doubts at times. Right? You can think of the most godly man, and he's pastor, preacher, even in history. They have doubts. Okay. What's the difference, though, between a faith that saves and a faith that needs to grow? And I don't have a clear answer planned out for you, so I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. What's the difference between a faith that saves and a faith that needs to grow? Because the sec- second bullet I was asking you, how do I know when my faith's in something else? If my faith is in something else at that moment, does that mean I'm not saved? I can't. Now, there are some people, some churches that teach, if you go a certain direction in sin and you continue to do that and you do not repent, that you can lose your salvation. And if you talk with those people, it, it gets to semantics a little bit. They looking, they're looking at passages that are showing strong warnings And I look at those and I say, I don't think that person was ever truly saved to begin with, right? They would say, no, they were saved, but they sinned to such an extent they lost their salvation. I disagree with that. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. But for us, we still got to wrestle with. What's the difference between a faith that saves me and the fact that I have a faith that still needs to grow? How do I know if, how does that all work? It does, yes. Yes. Daily. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's good. Well, well, it's part of it for sure. That I, my faith is never fully arrived until Jesus takes me home. And that could look two ways. He could come in the clouds or I die. But my faith is never perfected. But there is an element... That even in my sin, it's, it's, I think that, man's in the par- that man in that story, when he comes to Jesus, shows this. That these two can live in tension together. I believe, Lord. Help my unbelief. In, in other words, I know you are my only hope. But man, I'm a mess. And next week's question is going to talk about justification. Big, fancy, three-syllable word that helps us answer this question. Why is it? Is it my faith that's saving me? 
That's kind of a bit of a trick question. Because your faith doesn't save you. <laughs> That's why there really is a faith that needs to grow. But my faith in itself doesn't save me. Who saves me? Jesus saves me. I can know that I am going to heaven because true repentance does not put my hope on my faith. It puts my hope on him. Right? Because he's the one who will save me. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's, yeah, that's the getting a look. I know. That was one thing. Like, I, and I, ironically, talking about depression. Yeah. Like, like maintaining a level of... Like, um, so, yeah. So, and I, we'll just close with that. The key, I like the word, fact that you used the word grounded because that's what justification is going to be about. You'll see. Justification is the grounding and it's something that you didn't do. All right, you're all dismissed. (laughs)